Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Brilliant. So uh, this is, as Dom said, the first in our series of Easter through the eyes of women. So it's three weeks um, up until and including Easter Sunday. And this week we're going to be looking at um, a small passage. Well, we're going to be looking at a large passage, but focusing on a small passage within it um, about Pontius Pilate's wife. So um, it's a bit intriguing. I didn't know much about her until I started looking at, into this. Um, and it doesn't say much about her, to be honest, in the Bible. We don't know her name. Um, she's mentioned just one. And she's only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's very interesting. So um, anyone who doesn't know me, by the way, I have been introduced, but my name's Olivia. I've been here in Alive New York for three years since we started. So I was part of the team that helped to plant this church. And before that, I was at Alive Lincoln for four years. Um, I sit on our location forum and I oversee Connect Groups. So cheeky plug for Connects. If you are not in a Connect Group, then get yourselves in. There are midweek groups. There's smaller groups for people to meet together, there's space for discussion, there's space to pray together, to encourage each other, to celebrate together, to ask questions, to just just kind of sometimes just go off onto something unplanned but wonderful. Um, connect groups are fantastic. We're really able to care for people well when they're in a connect group. So if you're not in one yet and would like to be, then please see myself or Lois, who's on our connect table today after the service, and we will get you signed up and into one because they are brilliant. Right, let me pray and then we're going to read our verses for today. Father God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here with us this afternoon. Thank you for the wonderful time of sung worship where we were able to meet with you. I pray that you would um, speak through me this afternoon, God, that what I share this afternoon will be of you and will be good and that it will speak to people's hearts, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. So Matthew um, was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man, um, but he, he was a tax collector working for the Roman government. It wasn't a very popular job, as you can imagine. Um, I don't think we all love the tax collector that much nowadays as well. Um, he, he wrote one of the four accounts of Jesus's life, one of the four Gospels, and he was also a disciple of Jesus after, um, so he was a tax collector and then became a disciple of Jesus. Um, and through his work as a tax collector, he would have had to do a lot of record keeping and writing and stuff. So we can see that he's probably quite a good person to write an account of Jesus's life. And the, the verses today are Matthew 27, 11 to 26. So if you have a Bible paper form or mobile device form, then I'd love you to, to turn to Matthew 27, 11 to 26. The words will also be on the screen so you can follow along there if you wish. Is everyone there? Matthew 27, 11 to 26. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, the governor being Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. 
Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So just before this point, Jesus has shared in the Last Supper with his disciples where they gathered together and Jesus broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And they drank wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we now do communion and do those same things. Um, so he'd, he'd done that and he knew and he said at this point, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And he knew that it was going to be Judas Iscariot and then later on, on that very evening, he was in um, a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was um, praying and crying out to God because he knew what was to come. He knew that he was going to have to go on this cross, and it was going to be painful and horrific, and he was crying out to God and um, asking for God's help in this, and then a great crowd came to him with um, the chief, some of the chief priests and the elders from the temple, and they took Jesus and they brought him in front of Pontius Pilate, and that's where we are up to now. So we're at the sort of Jesus's trial. And Pilate was the governor of the province of Judea. So he was a Roman governor. So Rome at that time was in charge of quite a lot of the world, actually. And, um, and so they had different governors to rule over these different areas. And, and the person who looked over Judea was, was Pilate. Um, we know, as history tells us, that he had a house in Caesarea. But at this point, he's come into Jerusalem because it's the festival of the Passover, which is a big, big Jewish festival. Festival. So lots of people would have traveled from out of town. Lots of Jewish people would have come to be in Jerusalem to have the festival feast in the temple. Um, so it would have been very busy at that time. And Pilate's there just to crowd control, uh, make sure nothing goes wrong. Um, and people would have been gathering because they've heard that, Pilate, that this, this Jesus man who they, everyone will have heard of because, I mean, he was going around saying that he was the king of the Jews and the son of God and raising people from dead and performing miracles. People talk. They didn't have phones and Facebook in those days, but news traveled fast. Um, and so they would have gathered together and, and heard, oh, Jesus has, has come on trials. So there'd have been a big crowd of people there coming to see what was going to happen. And so um, I'm just going to read the verse that we're going to be focusing on one more time, and that's verse 19. 
And it says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Who here has dreams? I mean, like, not dreams and ambitions that when you fall asleep, you have a dream or a nightmare or something. I think most people do, but not everyone remembers them. I have the craziest dreams. Like, I wake up and I go, Ollie, you will never believe the dream I had. And they make no sense. And Ollie just looks at me and he's like, what is going on in your mind? And I, I have no idea. I don't know. Um, and sometimes I'm angry with Ollie because in my dream he's upset me. And he's like, it wasn't me. It was your dream. You can't be angry with me. I'm like... Mm. You upset me. Anyway, so when I uh, was starting to prepare for this speech, I thought, you know what? I'm going to write down some of my dreams because they're just weird. And also, I was challenged. I thought, if God speaks through dreams, I don't want to miss that. And I just want to share with you my weirdest dream I had this week. Uh, it's only short. You, you can laugh. Um, it's an insight into my mind, and it makes no sense. So here we go. <laughs> uh, I dreamt that. I was at our house in the garden with some friends. And there was a two-tone iguana, which is like a big lizard and a small crocodile sort of in between those two. And it was trying to attack me and my friend. So we ran into what looked like our shed. Apart from it had a glass window so we could see out. Then the iguana tried to open the door, obviously. Um, and Ollie held it shut from the outside, but the iguana bit him. So he disappeared to go get our axe. Side note, we have an axe because we have a log burner. We're not crazy axe people. Um, Ollie sometimes uses it to chop up wood. Um, and then he chucked it on the uh, wood store, this iguana, but I was really worried it was going to kill a rare bird. And that's when I woke up. So if anyone feels like they have been given um, <laughs> the interpretation of that dream from God, then please come and see me after the service because... Not a clue. Not a clue. <laughs> I thought you might like that. I think I've been quite vulnerable with you all there. Um, <laughs> and that leads me to my first point, which is the intuition of the wife. The intuition of the wife. And the word intuition means the ability to understand something instinctively without conscious reasoning. Now, I'm not able to understand that dream that I had without conscious or unconscious reasoning because... I mean, that, that makes no sense. But Pilate's wife has this dream, and she knows what it means. She knows it means that Jesus is innocent and that she wants to have nothing to do with this man being condemned. She is adamant. She says, I have suffered a great deal. She's so sure it's inside of her. Has anyone ever had that feeling when you're so sure of something? You can just feel it within you, and you, you just know what's right and what's wrong at that time. Well, she's had that, and she is just she is convinced. She has the intuition to interpret what that dream meant it might have been a very clear dream we don't know it might have been God saying to her don't have anything to do with Jesus's death or it could have been really abstract but she woke up and knew exactly what it meant um, and God speaks through dreams a lot throughout the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm just going to pick out two characters from the Old Testament um, who are able to interpret dreams really well. So the first one is Daniel. Daniel is taken from his land to Babylon, where he has to serve a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and also another king, 
later on yep and and so he um, the king starts having these dreams and they're a bit like my dreams they're not easy to interpret they're not like you know just a loud voice from heaven um, they're weird and abstract and, um, and and yet Daniel has been given the intuition by God to interpret these dreams and through that he's able to speak to a whole nation and, and bring the voice of God into that nation that otherwise would not acknowledge God. Um, the Babylons served false idols. They didn't acknowledge the, the one true God. And so through um, the wisdom that God gives Daniel, he's able to point a nation to God. And then with Joseph, I think most people will have heard of Joseph and his technical dream coat. Well, Joseph has, at the beginning of the story of Joseph, he has his own dreams and interprets those. They don't make him particularly popular. Um, and his brothers end up selling him into slavery. That's extreme, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think I could do that to my sisters, even if they really have annoyed me. Um, and so uh, while he's in prison, Joseph interprets a few dreams, and then the word gets back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's struggling um, with some dreams he's having, and then Joseph gets to interpret his dreams as well. Now, Pharaoh was the highest person within Egypt, so again, we're seeing um, a person who acknowledges God, who sees God as their Lord and Savior, um, speaking into the highest point of, of a nation and giving God's word to those people. And Joseph rises up through the ranks and gets a, a position of authority himself because God has given him the wisdom and the in, in tradition, intuition to interpret the dreams. And so I just want to ask a question this afternoon. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? Because God speaks in so many ways. He doesn't just speak through dreams. He speaks through his word. um, He speaks to us through visions and and all sorts of different things. And this week I heard a wonderful story from the fabulous Wendy in our Connect group. She shared with us this week that um, she was out buying some fish and chips, as you do, and the people in front of her... um, were having this conversation and she overheard it and they were talking about how they were struggling to to buy things and they were discussing between them what they could afford and if we buy this we won't be able to get that and have we got enough for us all to have a meal and Wendy heard the voice of God and she knew it was God and she acted upon it and so she said to them here you go have some money buy whatever you want to buy Um, and in that moment Wendy was Wendy was um, able to hear God and knew what she needed to do when God spoke to her. And she was able to bless those people and show them God's love. And if Wendy hadn't have been listening, she would have missed out on that opportunity to speak into their lives in such a lovely way. So I think that's a fantastic story. I was really touched when she shared that with us. Um, Whose voice are we listening to? Because we're going to miss those opportunities if we're not listening to the voice of God. And then my second point is the innocence of Jesus. Pilate's wife says, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. She is convinced that he is innocent. She is so convinced that she does what actually I think is quite a brave thing to do. We don't know about Pilate's relationship with his wife. We don't know if it's normal that she would send him a message while he's doing his governor duties and and speak into that. We don't know if she was normally just really separated from it. Um, 
historical context would maybe tell us that she probably wasn't that involved. And so I think it was quite a brave act that she sent him this letter. She put herself out there. Um, and as he was sitting on the judge's seat about to make his decision, you can just imagine it, can't you? Her thinking, you know, I've got to do it now. If I don't send him this letter now, it's going to be too late. I've got to do it. And so she, he, he gets this letter and he reads it. And I believe there's two reasons why Pilate didn't just stand up and say, no, this man is innocent. You, we can see from the passage that Pilate himself isn't convinced of the guilt of Jesus. And he says, why? What crime has he committed? He, he can't understand why they want to sentence him. So he himself is not convinced that Jesus is guilty. His wife was sent in the mes this message saying, don't have anything to do with it. He's innocent. And yet he still puts it to the crowd. He doesn't just stand up and put himself out there and say, no, I will have nothing to do with this. And, and as I say, I believe there's two reasons for this. And the first one is that he was afraid of an uprising. It says in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. So I believe that the first reason was a bit cowardly. He was afraid of an uprising. Um, he was worried that if something went wrong, he might lose his job. He might lose his position. And so he thought, oh, they're looking a bit angry. They're all excited because it's their feast day. Um, I don't want to push this. I'm just going gonna, gonna to let the crowd decide. And then the second point is that he didn't want to feel the responsibility for making the decision. He puts it to the crowd because then he's kind of half done what his wife said, like don't have anything to do with it. So he's kind of like, well, if I'm not the one making the decision, I'm half listening to my wife. Never a good idea. Um, and, then, and then also because, again, he's, he's afraid. And so he, he doesn't want to be the person that, that outright makes the decision, no, this man is innocent. I want nothing to do with this. And we can see in verse 20 that the chief priests and the elders, they've already been at work in the crowd convincing people oh, this man, he should be crucified. They've been doing their job. They've been whispering in ears and tapping on shoulders. He's got to be crucified. He's got to be crucified. The people have been talking. And, and at this point, Jesus is really stuck between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? I mean, the charges they're bringing against him are the truth. So if, if Jesus stands up and says, yes, I am the king of the Jews, or well, they'll say, crucify him. And if he says oh, no, actually, I'm not the king of the Jews. Well, then he's lying. And well, they probably would have shouted crucify him anyway because he'd been lying. And so at this point, you know, Jesus has to, has to stick with where he is, and, and, and he's, he's in this really difficult place. And so when Pilate washes his hands and says he has no, no responsibility for it, it's not his decision, in the next sentence, he actually condemns Jesus to be flogged and crucified. That doesn't, to me, sound like somebody who has nothing to do with the decision. He's saying, this isn't my decision. I wash my hands of this. And then he takes another breath and says, but flog him and crucify him. That's not somebody who is not, who is, um, that, yeah, he's not passing responsibility with that. He should take the responsibility for his actions. And was I, while I was thinking about this, um, I did a little bit of research, and I, I read some really interesting statistics. And it says that when um, bringing a family to Christ, this happens 3.5% of the time by following the child. 
17% of the time by following the mother, and 93% of the time by following the father. Which is amazing, isn't it? So basically what that's saying is, if there's a family and the man comes to church, the father comes to church, we're 93% time, 93% more likely to see the rest of the family come to church and come to know Christ. And we're really lucky in this church that we have fantastic, wonderful men um, who model what it is to be a Christian, to be a believer of God, and that's fantastic. But then I read this statistic, that by 2030 in the UK, if trends carry on the way they are, we will have no men left in church. That's 11 years' time. No men left in church by 2030. Gosh, I thought, wow, <laughs> clearly we need to do something about that. But then I thought, actually, that's, that's quite exciting because... You know, it <laughs> doesn't sound exciting, doesn't it? does it? But at least we know what we need to do to target. Um, we need to get the men into church and the families will follow. And this, this links into what I'm talking about with Pilate because at that point, Pilate had a decision to make to stand up in front of everybody, acknowledge God for who he was and say, this is the son of God. This man is innocent. He is not guilty. I believe that he is, he is the son of God. Or to not and he chose not to and at that point he had he could have changed the fate of his family and when I started looking into this this dream I was really confused as to why it even happened I mean Jesus had to die on the cross Jesus was going to die it had to happen and I couldn't understand then why God had given Pilate's wife this dream because it wasn't going to change history if Pilate had stood up and said this man is innocent I'm having nothing to do with it do I believe that Jesus would have gone to the cross well yeah yeah Jesus was always going to have to go to the cross so I was like well why why did that even happen why did God go to the effort it's probably not much effort for him is it but why did that happen why did he give Pilate's wife this dream when it wasn't going to change anything. And, and I pondered on it a lot in the week and chatted it through with Heather and we talked about it. And I said, the only conclusion I can come to is God's mercy. God's mercy that he didn't want Pilate to be the person remembered as the one responsible for condemning his son to death. Because history hasn't been kind to Pilate. We do remember him as the man who condemned Jesus to death. That could, that, in my mind, that can be the only only reason I could think of and so I really believe that that was a chance for Pilate to stand up and declare the innocence of Jesus and acknowledge God for who he was and Pilate was a Roman man so he wasn't of Jewish heritage he Romans tend to serve their own gods they didn't acknowledge God so that would have been a big big deal if this Roman governor had stood up and said this is the son of God he is innocent of the charges and he didn't he didn't. And I think it just shows us with the, the research and the statistics that it is so powerful when a man stands up and says, this is who God is. He is who he says he is. And I believe him. I trust him. Um, and I just think that that's really encouraging. And then my final point is the intimacy with Jesus. And in Matthew 27, 55, this is, after, this is after Jesus has died. So he's died on the cross. Um, there's been a, a huge earthquake. 
there's been a, a dark cloud, a, a blackness. The, the curtain in the temple is ripped. And it says this in Matthew 27, 55. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. These women had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. This is about 100 miles. Um, it would have mainly been on foot or on donkeys or camels, maybe. Um, it wouldn't have been easy. And they'd followed him. And, and that week, they'd experienced firsthand the events of the last week of Jesus' life. So they'd seen his triumphal entry. They'd seen the cleansing of the temple. They'd seen his verbal combat with the Pharisees. And they'd seen the agony of his arrest and the trial. I can't imagine what emotions they, these women must have felt seeing Jesus there on the cross, broken, the man that they'd grown to love and respect. And still they'd stayed. They'd stayed there to care for his needs right until the end. And they weren't going to leave his side because they had an intimate relationship with Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They were convinced that Jesus was innocent. They were convinced that Jesus was the son of God and they didn't want to leave his side. While some of the other disciples had already denied Jesus, these women stuck with him and they probably were only allowed to because they were women. And it says in that passage that they were at a distance, watching at a distance. They were, the Roman soldiers wouldn't have seen them as a threat because they were women and, and, and so they probably let them stay. But it's just so hard to to imagine having to see that, somebody you've grown to love dying on a cross, and yet they stayed. And the interesting thing about Pontius Pilate's wife is that we don't know that she ever met Jesus. It's probably quite likely that she didn't. Um, she would have heard of him, I'm sure, and heard about what he'd done, but she didn't have the same intimate relationship that these other women would have had with Jesus. They'd followed him, they'd, they'd been part of his ministry. And yet Pontius Pilate's wife had never, never met Jesus, probably. And yet she still was so adamant that this man was who he said he was, that he was innocent. She could only have had a revelation from God. She could only have had God speaking to her to know this, to be so sure of it. And like I touched on before, I believe that it was all Jesus's mercy that it was an act of kindness from God that before he died, two more people, or in fact probably more, because I'm sure it would have had an impact, impact on the crowd, could have acknowledged him for who he was and had a seat in heaven. And I just think that that's incredible, that Jesus, when he is getting ready to die in such a horrific and horrible way, a, a a death that's reserved for the worst criminals, that they chose to free Jesus Barabbas, a well-known criminal, over him and to crucify him. And in this state, he is still thinking about the eternal life of others around him. And that's, that's what I believe it is. This whole thing, this whole verse, this whole part of Pontius Pilate's wife is, is just the mercy of Jesus. It just shows his love for us and his desire to be in a relationship with us. And so every, every week, we give an opportunity for people who do not yet know Jesus to give their lives to him. 
And I actually think it's a really great opportunity for other people that do know Jesus to recenter ourselves, to think upon those words, to, to pray a prayer that, that realigns us and we say, yes, God, I put you first. Yes, God, I'm, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. And so this prayer is a very proud, powerful prayer. It's a very powerful prayer because it's about our hearts. And so we want to always give people the opportunity to, to have this intimate relationship with Jesus, to be able to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because this prayer isn't the destination, but this prayer is the start of a journey, a wonderful journey that we would love to help you upon if you would like to make that decision today. Um, because there's lots more to find out about. It's exciting. It's really interesting. And best of all... It's, it's freeing. It gives you freedom. You get to know who God is. You get to understand why you've been created. You get to understand this love that he has for you. And so we, 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 we do this purposefully every single week. And I know that some people might think, oh, it's that prayer again. I pretty much know it off by heart. But it's important. This could be someone's first time of meeting Jesus today. And so I want to give everyone that opportunity. And how this will work is there will be a prayer that comes up on the screen. We will all say it together, and then I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. Um, and then what I'm going to say is if there's anybody who's prayed that for the first time, you don't have to have all the answers at this point. You don't have to be 100% fully convinced. But if you would raise your hand, and then we would love to come and talk to you um, and just tell you more about Jesus, tell you more about why this man would die on a cross for our sins so that we can get to know him better because that's countercultural that's crazy we can tell you more about him and, and say when you raise your hand that just signifies to me that yes that's me today I want to know more about Jesus I want to start living my life for him and then at the end of the service one of my friends will just come and chat with you and give you some information and like I say that's the start of the journey and there's many other things that we can help you with as well so the prayer is on the screen. We're going to pray, pray this prayer together. And then if everyone could just bow their heads. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.